This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. The best story, the best story that the Chaim ever wrote, but we're not going to start off with that. We're going to start off something very important. I have to find it though. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was I was just by a wedding, and you know, by the end of the chuppah, they sing. Um, not Al Nahas, brother. Imesh Kachayich. So this guy was singing, it was like unbelievable the way he was singing it. And um, I sort of closed my eyes and went back to Lagba Omer morning at the coastal. And um, at the broken wall, and I was thinking, with my eyes closed, that um, the wall, as I said a few weeks ago, you know, it, it's our holiest place and I gotta wonder what Gayim when they come on those tours like the Japanese and these foreigners and they're like going to see the holiest place of the Jewish prayer like the holiest Jewish site in the world and you know you're on that bus thinking must have like gold like the Dome of the Rock or you know what do they call that place in India Taj Mahal, right, or, or the place in Bethlehem, the church of whatever nativity, you know, everything's gorgeous and gold and painted, and all these guys come rolling up, and they're like, you know, the tour guys walk in, and they see this broken wall, and they're thinking, must be behind that wall, like, it, it ain't that wall, and I was like, it broken with weeds and birds and Scorpions and stuff crawling across and like, like, and they and they stop and like, there it is. They're like, huh? And it's so hard to understand because like the floor is perfect by the so you know it's even. They wash it down, it's like even and it's like perfect. And the wall is so imperfect; it's cracked and it's got weeds and birds and birds all all over the floor stuff and it's like. They gotta be thinking like, why are these Jews that want to, they don't fix the wall? You know, we have such a wall in your house. And tonight, while I'm standing by that wedding with my eyes closed, something came to my mind. You see, if we fix the wall, and we fill in all the holes, there's nowhere to put in the prayers. Because the beauty of the Kosama Ravi are the little notes the little papers that are in that wall where people write their their wishes, their names, their family names, and their wishes to Hashem. And if the wall was like a wall like in all the other places, like the church or the Dome of the Rock, yes, it would be a very beautiful wall, but there'd be nowhere to stick into the wall, into the cracks, the people's prayers and hopes and faith. So the beauty of the coastal, everybody... Is that it's not perfect. And that's really what Shuis, this past Shuis, was all about. That Harsinai was a teeny little mountain. Um, 
It was given in a midbar, bamidbar. It was given in the desert. No, you know, no fanfare, no Switzerland Alps. You know, that would be a good place to get the Torah. Rolling green hills and beautiful snow-capped mountains. Like, that's a presentation. I mean, Spielberg, I mean, that's a Hollywood. You want us to tell us some smoking little sand dune? Right? And that was just, just we sat, you know, Shruis. And it's all about Anivis. It's all about being broken. It's all about being modest. It's all about the, the Kaylee for Torah. Kaylee for Torah is modesty. That's why I'm very worried. I don't really talk about politics. I have to tell you, you know, it's very sad what happened in Orlando take human beings lives it's not it's not it's not for a human no matter what you want to judge or not judge what you want it's not for a human to take another human's life it doesn't matter what the other person's like and you know it's an interesting subject about the death the death um, American death sentence because the electric chair and all that and on one side you're saying like this guy murdered 20 people or this guy did this, that, and that. He deserves to die. But as Jews, we don't believe in that. And, 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 and you have to have Aiden. You have to have Asra. You have to have witnesses. You have to have a warning. A Bezdin that killed was called a killer Bezdin. They didn't... Gomorrah says, once every 70 years, if you killed one person, it was a killer Bezdin. It didn't happen. Hashem set it up pretty much. You have to have warning witnesses and the witnesses are so checked out that their stories have to be exactly the same so so like is the death sentence correct American death sentence because American law um, even though it's liberal not to have it right you think like well a guy killed somebody but American law is based on circumstantial evidence not edus we heard someone in the room, and it's, you can be guilty without a victim, without a dead body. You can be found guilty without them finding even the dead body. And then you see lately a lot that the DNA proved that the guy sat in jail for 70 years or 50 years, and they're like, sorry, we made a mistake. Sorry. He went to jail when he was 20, he's now 84. We're so sorry that, you know, your whole life you missed. It's circumstantial evidence. We don't believe in that. So even though my first reaction is kill them if they kill someone else, right? I and Tachasayin, but that's not Jewish. Bezin has a very hard time um, killing somebody. So, so you know, what happened in Orlando? You know, forty-nine people being killed. They ought to kill somebody. Even if you don't agree with, you know, how they're living their life, that's up to Hashem. The guy who killed them is wrong. Judgment is God's, is God's judgment, you know. So you can't be happy when someone else dies. And, and, uh, huh? No, you, 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 when people die, when human beings die, you, you, you have to back off. You have to, you know, they have families and whatever it is. We're not, you know, people all of a sudden become the sentencer and the, they have it all figured out and whatever it is. 
But someone called me today and he said it's like very scary because it happened on the 49th day of the Omer. And there were 49 people that died and the guy who killed him, his name was Omer. The Arab's name was O-M-E-R. So someone called me today and said, isn't that strange? So I... Any one of the days of the Omer, his name was Omer. And it happened to be 49 people, whatever it is, but... Well, oh, now it's 51, so that throws the whole thing off. And so I said to him, I said, you can't make that, that's, you can't make these chajbainas. No, we don't, we don't understand Hashem's chajbainas, we don't understand. But what, what I was getting to is, um, kedusha, holiness, and connection to God, and comes from being humble. Humbleness brings holiness. It's two H's. So I'm very, very scared of one of the people running for president. I'm very scared of both of them, actually. I don't, you know, Hashem has a chashman. Something's coming down. Something's coming down this road. But a Balgaiva, a person who's so full of themselves, and a Balgaiva, the Gemara, the, the, the terrorist says, is a Vaidizara. A person who's a Balgaiva is Ayyad Avaidizara. There's a famous story with Ilyan Navi. Where they were walking, he was walking with um, who? and the person said, "It smells. Let's make a turn because down the road there's a dead donkey laying in the street, and it stinks. It's full of flies." And yeah, now he said, "No, let's go past the donkey." He said, "But it stinks." He goes, "But I want to teach you a lesson." And the donkey was laying there and being eaten by maggots, disgusting and smelly. Now he says, "Because donkeys have very white teeth. Donkeys have very white teeth." And he says, look, as terrible as maggots and all that, as ugly it is, but look at the beauty of the white teeth. So the only was trying to teach him that in all the, in, even in the worst disgusting thing, you have to be able to find the good. You always have to be able to find the good. I was talking about Rabbi Ronnie Greenwald, all of a shalom, this, uh, this Shavuos, Shavuos night when I spoke. He said, one of the greatest things he ever told me he was the dean of my high school, was there was a girl in Muncie that was being thrown out of school. She was 15 and a half. And they, the parents said, you got to try, you got to help us out. You got to go to the principal and you got to talk to her. You know, they're throwing our daughter out. She's going to be in the street. So he told me this story. He went to the principal and he said, can I ask you a question? Sure. If a, if a, if a, if a Bobby... Uh, 80-year-old lady came into the school. Would you throw her out of your school? She said, what are you talking about? A babala, a babi, a Jewish babi. He said, the girl you're throwing out is a babi. She's a mommy. She's a babi. Don't look at her like she's 16 years old. You're looking at someone who's going to have children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. If you throw her out, you're not throwing her out you're throwing out her grandchildren and her children and everything that's going to come because you're going to get dysfunctional and when she gets dysfunctional everyone underneath her is going to get dysfunctional she says you're throwing out a Bobby not a 16 year old I never asked him if uh, if they threw her out anyway because sometimes you come up with a good line it doesn't help (laughs) one of my best lines and the person doesn't talk to me anymore and it didn't help um, it was a pretty crazy thing to say, but I was just in that zone.
Sometimes I say things like that. <laughs> Not always. So, I was, huh? So, that was a lot worse than that. Um, I, I don't know if I'm going to be in Goldberg's 10 out of 2.15, but I hope I, I hope he didn't get another ticket. Um, you want to hear this? You want to hear this? So, my last story, right? So, he told me I have to pay for his lawyer that got him off the ticket. So, I said, no way. And I told him, go tutor. And you know the story. I said it over. I got a call the next day from someone who heard the shirt because it was on the radio at 12 o'clock last Wednesday. I get a call from a guy. He says, I disagree with what you did. I said, what do you mean? He said, it's chesed. You should have given him the money. He made a mistake. He got a lawyer. He got himself out of trouble. Why didn't you have Rachmanis? I was like, wow. After my whole thing, you figure like people would be like, own your stuff, right? This guy's telling me that no, you have to, you have to help that guy. So on the spot, I said, I have to ask you a question. If a guy robs five, he steals from someone five hundred dollars, goes into your pocket, he goes into your jacket, you put it in the in the base bedroom, he takes five hundred dollars out of your jacket, he steals from you, okay? And we catch him. He spent the money, and we catch him. He comes to me and he says, listen, I stole money from this guy. i got to pay him back. Give me the money. So would you give him the money? He's a of, right? So if you give him the money, he's going to steal from the next guy. Maybe if you don't give him the money, he's got to scrounge around and collect it or work. Maybe he won't steal from the next guy. I said, you'd be a shite to give him the money. He's a of. I said, this guy was speeding. He did something wrong. It's not like he did something right. He did something wrong. Then he went and got a lawyer so that he wouldn't have to pay the consequence and lose the points on his on his license. I'm going to pay for that. So what am I teaching him? You do what's wrong, and Wallstein will take care of you. That's called enabling. And I'm not an enabler. Oh, my, okay. Thank you very much. Anyway, so. What? That what? No, I'm not going to tell you what I said. So, so I come, I come, I, so this is this kid that they need to get into school. And this kid has to get into a certain school. And they asked me, because I knew the principal very well, to go to that school and get the kid in. And I'm like, no sweat. I'll get the kid in. There are 32 kids in that class. They are overloaded, they are stuffed, they are overbooked. I come, I'm like, I'm asking you a favor. I know you have 32 kids, but the truth is, teaching 32, you're teaching too many anyway. So you're teaching too many anyway, right? Because you should not have more according to the Rambam than 20 or 22. That's it. Or then you need a second teacher. I'm like, you're already overloaded. 33, 32, who's going to know the difference? So the person says to me, there's not an inch in the room. I cannot help you. There's not an inch in the room. I'm like, can we go upstairs and look at the classroom? I will find an inch. I will find room for a desk. And we're not going to look at the classroom and I am telling you that this kid is not coming to my school like that. Like he got angry at me, whatever. 
not coming to my school. When I tell you there's no room, Rabbi, there is no room. I said, that's so interesting. The Nazis always had room for another Jew in the gas chamber. And you don't have room for another kid in your class? He looks at me. Did you just call me a Nazi? (laughs) I said, no. But they always had a room. Just one more Jewish kid. How could you tell me you don't have room for just one more Jewish kid? Please leave my premises now. (laughs) Threw me out of the building. I came home, I told my wife what I said. She's like, you didn't have a right to say that. And she's right. I didn't have a right to say that. You know, but when you're fighting for when you're fighting for a kid, hey, you know what? Hashem, don't be angry at me because I try to get another Jewish kid into Yeshiva. Well that's how I felt. I'm like, what do you what does it mean? We're go up there, let's look, let's try, we'll switch classes, we'll take the knife, we'll put it by the temple. That, that room's a little bit bigger. There's a kid that needs to get into school. There's no room. That was the worst line or best line I ever said in my life. <laughs> And I never, I never repeated it. Now, if your question is, did the kid get into the school? The answer is absolutely not. It did not help her, and it did not help me. But she got into a school, and she did very well. But it didn't, it didn't work. No, 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 no. That was, that was, that came from nowhere. I was like, the Nazis always had room. He was like, did you? Did I, did I hear what you did you and you know I don't back I don't back down so I stayed with it anyway what but tonight tonight I have a story that uh, beats them all that beats them all it's one of our best stories and if you weren't in my share eight years ago you know, or nine years ago you don't know the story okay um, but there is something oh this is what I wanted to tell you listen to this in fact it's very very important it's a big, big thing we had. We had asked the rabbi, I was by KMR, this beautiful, unbelievable Schwartz. They're such good people, the Warners, they're really good people. Really nice people. And we had an amazing Schwartz night and an amazing Schwartz altogether. Shiurim, asked the rabbi. None of the rabbis agreed. It was so much fun. We had such a good time. So, Daber, the Pashas Nosso, this week's Pashas Nosso. Am I right? Yeah. Wow. We're like, my midba went. Because it didn't really have time. So this is my week, man. This is this is the week. Right? You know it's Bichas Kahanim this week. Kohen's Bichas Kahanim this week. Parshas Nasso. Parshas Nasso. You know that it says. Um, uh, well, what's the what's the uh, he wrote song? Can you read me a sitter for a minute? No, it's behind you, behind you, right there. Oh, you got it? Okay. You're too fast. Too fast. Too fast. So the very interesting word that us Kahanim say at the end of Bechaz HaKohanim. Here we go. We say this prayer. Rebunish Lailam. 
creator of the world. Asinu Do what you were geyser us. How do you say geyser in English? Edict? Decree. What you decreed. And do it. We, we, are, we are doing what you decreed. You do what you promised. And bless the Jews. Why does it use the word gezarta oleinu? Where's there a decree? It's not a decree. Hashem told us decree sounds a little negative, right? Hashem told us to bench cholesterol. Why do we use the word gezera? It's not a gezera to to bench cholesterol. It's a mitzvah. So the answer is that there is a gezera here. The gezera is that we would not be able to turn our backs on the Aron HaKodesh when we bench you. We need to have a gezera for that. Because we're actually the Quran about turning our back on the Aron HaKodesh. You know, I'll turn your back on the Aron HaKodesh. So, we use the word gezera because that had to be a decree from Hashem. Otherwise, we couldn't do it. So he says here, very beautiful, the following. A prominent man from a distinguished background had a son who began to go off to the go off to Derech. The kid started behaving inappropriately. He started hanging out till four o'clock in the morning. He started not going to school. He started to drink. So, this is a very beautiful thought. So the father had no choice, and he threw the kid out of his house. You cannot show up at four o'clock in the morning, smelling from alcohol, and ruin all the other kids. So the kid said, "Okay, Dad." Tomorrow she's from today. You threw me out. I'm chilling. I'm willing to be chilling with the boys. I'm out of here. Okay? So one of the father's friends meets him and says, you know, it's very, very cold. We had a whole thing and asked the rabbi on this subject. And I'm sure if I opened it up to the class, it would get very interesting. Because there'll be guys in this room that have one opinion and there'll be guys in this room that have the exact opposite opinion. So, even though you're all my Talmudim, so you should all have my opinion, but it's not going to be like that. So, the father's friend comes to him and says that, you know, it's begun, it's becoming winter, and your son, with his chevra, in the park, on 18th, Avenue, on 18th Street over there, you're going to be sleeping on a, in, 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 on a bench. And, you know, he's walking around in summer clothing. The kid's going to freeze. Why don't you give him some money so he can at least buy some clothing and rent it, and rent it, rent himself an apartment? Now there are some people in our generation that preach that you have to do for your kids whatever they want, and if they're off the derech and they're at a Yankee game and they want to eat tray for Franks, you not only can't you stop them from eating the tray for Frank. But you have to buy them the tray for Frank. Of course, I do not agree with that at all. And I'm a hashmital, I'm, I'm so anti. It's like, you're taking your kid to hell? You're buying him the tray for, if he wants to bring a girl into his room, that you allow that, and not only that, but you clean the laundry and make it nice that the room should smell well, like good? What, 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 what is that? We're, where does that come from? And there are there are guys out there preaching this and people are following it. And Hashem doesn't do that for us. Hey God, I'd like you too if you let me do everything. That's amazing. And you give me the money to buy the drugs. Like God, I want to do drugs. So like, 
Not only are you going to tell me not to, you're going to bring me the... Like, where do you get this from? It's, it's, it's like it's like the Satan twisted people's brains around. So a lot of people enable kids who are off the derech. They enable them. What? Does it work? Of course it doesn't work. Why doesn't it work? Because it's a band-aid, because your kid's not talking to you. And you love your child. And you're hurting. And you want him to talk to you. So if you if you, if your daughter wants to wear jeans and you buy her the jeans, and you shop for her and you go to the gap and you buy her the jeans, she'll start talking to you. But you're enabling her because what's gonna happen in her life, whatever whatever she wants to do. She expects you to help her do that, even if it's wrong. So then she gets married, and she doesn't want to come home one night. And she expects her husband to give her the credit card to pay for the uh, the hotel room that she's committing adultery with the other guy because my father did that for me. Whenever I didn't want to do something wrong, he paid for it. So what are you teaching her? And then she gets a job, and she says, I want to come at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And the employer's like, are you crazy? What do you mean? Not only, not only... Do you have to let me come at 2 o'clock? But you got to give me money to be able to go shopping in Bloomingdale's till 2 o'clock. You crazy? So it doesn't work in life. It's a band-aid. But when you teach someone that I will help you do what you want to do when it's wrong, so yeah, they'll be your friend for a little while, but you're enabling them, you're hurting them, you're teaching them that you can do whatever you want. And not only that, I'm going to help you. Smoked the drug. I have, a, I have a friend. His kids were doing marijuana. And he's telling me that he smokes with them. Why? Because he wants to buy the drugs to make sure that they don't buy stuff that's no good. The sugar. So he bought his kids the drugs. The marijuana. And he wanted to be their friend. So he would smoke with his, with his teenage boys. They would sit in the house and smoke together. Every single one of his kids, two of them got married, they divorced with kids. One of them is in a very, very bad, every single one of them is a drug addict. And every single one of them is so messed up in their life. It's not normal. And I said to him, look what you did. Tell your kids, no, it's, it's, if, it, if it's something that's wrong, don't enable them. Love, this was the, the rabbi panel. What does unconditional love mean? What does that mean? That means in most people's mind, unconditional, I give you whatever you want. I'm like, that is so not unconditional love. If I have a coach and he sees that I'm a pretty good ball player, but my swing is off. And he doesn't tell me that and he doesn't teach me to become a superstar, he doesn't love me. I'll leave him alone. I don't want. I don't. I don't want to make him practice. I don't want him to. You know, you have to go to practice for a few hours beforehand. Let him go play. So, in the meanwhile, I'm a mediocre player. So, it's your fault. That's not unconditional love. Unconditional love means, in my head, that even if you don't love me because I'm pushing you hard. That's called unconditional love. I am willing that you not that you're that I'm not giving you everything, but that I know at the end you're going to be a superstar, right? 
I am not getting that love from my student or my child that I would love to get by giving them everything. I am sacrificing my relationship with my child. I would love that they would love me and daddy, daddy, daddy and just giving them everything and whatever they want and the and, and huggy kissy and everything. And every time I say no, they don't want to talk to me. So when I say no because I know that it's not good for them and my child's angry at me and my child doesn't want to talk to me, that hurts me. So that's unconditional love. That even on the condition that I'm not going to get from them that love and, and hug because I'm doing the right thing and it hurts me to do the right thing. I love you so much. I'm willing to give up for myself what I want, which is that my kids should think I'm the greatest thing that ever happened to them. And I'm willing to give that up for my kid. And I had a coach in hockey. I was a crazy hockey player and I had a coach and I thought I was the best guy, I was the highest scorer and he pretty much told me that he threw me off the team and I was like, you are, you're crazy. I am the high scorer on your team and you're throwing me off the team? He says, you're the high scorer but you don't come back on defense. I don't know how to skate backwards, I don't know how to skate backwards. He says, spend the rest of the summer two hours a day skating backwards and then maybe I'll take you back. Like, you crazy man, you know who I am. I am the high scorer. That guy loved me. I got dizzy and I worked and I hated his guts and I thought he's nuts. And at the end of the day, I became, I became not a superstar but a very good hockey because I could skate backwards. You don't know how to skate backwards. So is it a better coach just to say, no, go home, relax, take it easy. That's not someone that's not unconditional. Unconditional is that even though it hurts, right? The parent that disciplines their child and 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 says no, we don't like to say no to our kids. That hurts. Much easier to say yes and get a hug. You say no and the kid turns around and walks out. Parent is hurt. That's unconditional love. There's no condition that you that I have to be happy with my decision. I am doing the best for my child that I can do. And it's very hard. And that's what the word means to me. Not to throw everything at them and make them soft so that, so that they can't, so they can't go through life and they can't deal with stuff. That's not unconditional love. We're going through gullus, right? You think God wants atheists? You think Hashem wants his own Jewish kids turning around and saying, you don't exist? You're a mean and evil God? God would much rather give us everything. Do anything you want. No mitzvahs. Just party, man. Like Nike. Just do it. You think it's not easy for God to say that? He didn't have to give us a Torah. He could have just said, then. Whatever you want. You want to murder? Murder. Adultery? Unbelievable. Want to serve idols? Have a good time. I'll build you the idols. And then everyone be walking around, yeah, God, you the man. You the man. I know you're there. Right? Hey, marijuana plants, you made them grow. Wow, amazing. Heroin, poppy seed. Whoa, I shall be drugging the whole world. Everybody walking around. God, you're the man. You think it doesn't hurt that he gave us rules to make our souls go on a higher level and people are cursing him and people are like, you don't exist and you're evil. It'd be much easier for him to do what that guy writes, what you should do with your kids and just give everyone everything. It'd be much easier. We'd all be happy. Everyone believe in Hashem. 
You think it doesn't hurt, but he's like, it's not healthy for you. Your soul is going to be, there's not going to be anything there. It's not healthy for you. So I'm giving you, right, it's like a doctor. It's the same thing. It, it's like the, these guys, well, I don't want to use the word, these, um, these trainers. I don't know if anyone has, a, has in this room a trainer, right? They come to your house at 5.30 in the morning, get up, start running, start stretching like my back, my arm. I don't care, another 10 minutes, another 10 push-ups. You're like, you're a tyrant. You're a dictator. He's like, I don't care. But it hurts. Good. Another 10 push-ups, another 10 push-ups. At the end of the day, he's doing it for your good. But he could be, the worst trainer in the world would be like, oh, it hurts? Okay, let's go get some muffins. <laughs> let's go get some cupcakes, guys. Right? That, hello? That's a trainer? That's a, unconditional love. It hurts. Let's go get muffins. Let's go get some cake. No, unconditional love is, I know that for you, you want to lose weight, you want to get into shape, I'm going to push you. The good trainers, they're monsters. I had one for two days. That was it. He's a monster, the guy. He was like one of these guys from the Israeli army. And he was like, I'm like, I can't do this. He's like, I'm leaving. I was paying him a lot of money. I'm like, he's leaving. I'm like, no, no, no. He says, you get down and you do it. I'm like, I can't. I'm so old. Like, Come on. I'm not, I'm not, you think I'm 15? And I, I couldn't deal with it. But he really wanted to help me. And I didn't have the time, whatever. But that, that's, that's to me. And we had this whole discussion this was. That's unconditional love. So to go out there, and listen to this is, um, the book, it's called Torah Tavlin. So listen to where I'm going there. So this, this friend tells his friend, it's getting cold. Your kid's out there in the, in the 18th Avenue, 18th Street, 18th, uh, East 18th Park over here on Avenue M. Kid's freezing, man. What kind of father are you? Go buy him some clothing and buy, and pay for an apartment. The father's eyes began to shed tears. And he said, it hurts me to no end, my friend. But you are speaking to the wrong person. I am ready to give him everything. I am ready to take him back into my, into my home with open arms. I have an entire wing of the house ready for him. But his misbehavior forced me to send him away. And now he will not deal with me anymore. If you are concerned about his well-being, speak to him and persuade him to come back home and behave. Don't, don't, don't feed the terrorists out there in the park and get him warm clothing in an apartment. Talk him into, he's telling him, if you're really my friend, talk my son to come back home. I got everything for him here. He doesn't want to behave? What do you want from me? But I didn't throw him out of the house. He, the consequence of his behavior, that's not getting thrown out of the house. If the rule in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the restaurant is that you can't throw food, or you get thrown out of the restaurant, if you're throwing food, they didn't throw you out of the restaurant, you threw yourself out of the restaurant. It's the consequence of breaking the rules. It doesn't work the other way. It's not, you know, I got up at the panel, I'm like, listen, I love science. I love science. I love chemistry. I love biology. I love physics. I don't like math. I never liked math. Math is one plus one equals two. It's finite. <laughs> math is finite. Wallstein is one plus one equals whatever it needs to equal today. <laughs> Three, six, five, whatever I need to make it all work. So I'm, I'm, I'm the, I'm the out of the box guy. So I'll never be an accountant. I'll never be an actuary. It's just not the way my, uh, you know, my head works. So, so it's, you know, it's very, very, 
different. And I, so in science, if you want to to figure something out, you experiment. You go into the lab, you experiment, and you experiment, and you experiment, and you fail, and you fail, and you fail, and you fail, until you finally don't fail. And when you finally don't fail, then you know that you got your experiment worked. You continuously, whatever they're doing right now, and all the research that they do, they're never successful the first time. There's a failure, but it's only a 50% failure, then it's a 40% failure. And you find, right, so, so what, I, don't, I, I forgot the words because it's so long since I did it, but sort of the sum, the sum of all the moving parts, right? You look at what the product is. At the end of the day, the product is good, then all the ingredients that went into it is good. So, I might be wrong and I might be right, but let's look at the product, okay? Today's generation the product that we're producing are kids that are extremely not happy. They're just not happy. I deal with them all the time. There's medicine to make you happy. There's drugs to make you, not happy, but to to be anesthesia. So everyone's drinking and smoking and drugging and trying to find something that will make them happy. Nobody's happy. Kids are not happy. Psych wards are full. Rehabs are full. Therapists are full. Can't get into a therapist. Everyone I call to get a kid in, it's like, if it's an emergency, dial 911. At this point, my practice is full. So you can't even get into a therapist. So all the therapists are full. The, the pharmacies will tell you that they dispense more antidepressants than any other medicine that they, than antibiotics. Everyone's depressed. Everyone's on Zoloft. Everyone's on Prozac. Everyone, right? So, Wallstein, you're wrong, you're right. Just let's look at the product. Let's look at what we're producing. That's a scientific way of looking at things. Are we producing a human race that's productive and happy and healthy in relationships? This new psychology of enabling and if your kid runs out of the house and it is cold, buy him a coat. If he wants to be with a girl, let the girl come to the house. Freshen up the room. Do the laundry. Is that working? Is that unconditional love? And the answer is, if we have more depressed children than we've ever had, and more drug addicts and heroin addicts than we've ever had, then from a scientific approach, this experiment is producing a product that is very not healthy. Which means that what we're doing to produce that product is not working, it's wrong. Not, it's just I'm telling you from a scientific approach. Now, in my day, and they say that kids today are different. Yes, they're different because we're, we're, we're dealing with them differently. When the kid is born, put into the warmer, in the hospital... They're no different. You guys look exactly the way I did. Okay? There's no difference. And you have the same brain. We all come into this world not different. What is different is the upbringing and the psychology of the world. And the, and the product is a failure. 
in many, 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 many different ways. So, my generation, who was not brought up that way, who was never enabled, if I told my father that I want to run away, he would say, okay, I will bring the suitcase and I will help you pack. And by the way, if you think I'm driving you to the bus to run away, you're walking to the bus. <laughs> you want to run away? You want to take a bus to Florida? You're going to walk to the bus, which was like 80 miles away, the bus, whatever. There was no such thing. It wasn't a Muncie bus then, to go to Spring Valley. There was no, there was no such thing. And nobody in my class took drugs. I mean, there was one or two kids, but, and, 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 and there was, there was no medicine. You took, you took, you know, there was no even Tylenol, you took aspirin, but you know, there, there was no medicine, there were no therapists. I needed a therapist, I needed a speech therapist. They didn't have them until I was in seventh grade. As a little kid, I had a very bad lisp, and nobody could help me because they didn't even have therapists. Today you have speech therapists, OT, uh, every kind of P3, P4, P6, P9, you have substitutes, the government, right? So what's going on over here? We didn't have that. Oh, your generation, you were all miserable. We were all happy guys. Sorry, we were. We were. We were all happy guys. Go ask guys my age, fifty to sixty years old. They'll tell you. We played punch ball. We played baseball. We played hockey. Today, nobody wants to play anything. They want a wee. They want to be able to hit a ball by going like that. Woo! The screen. They just knocked it at four hundred feet by moving their hands electronically. Hello, we got splinters from baseball bats that were made out of wood. It's not working. It's just not working. So if it's not working, then the experiment is wrong. And and what this man is saying here is that I love my kid. I bought a house for him. I bought a room for him. There is a very comfortable, warm... I want to feed him, I want to clothe him, I want to take care of him. But if he runs away, I'm not enabling him by, by buying that clothing. Now, there will be many people watching this tonight and saying, like, he has no Rachmanis, he has no pity. Wrong. Pity is that I will push you and you will hate me. And even though you hate me, I know what's good for you, I am willing to give that up. And everybody wants to be right. wants to be I want to be loved by everybody. I want everyone to love me, right? But if I see something's wrong, I'm going to tell you there's something wrong. If you're going to say, well, I'll hate you for it. If I love you enough, I will let you hate me for it. I will give up that so that you do well. And that is unconditional love. And that's what he brings down over here. And it's very sad because we're so mixed up today. And we're so desperate that it's just not, it's just not working. Good coach is the guy who pushes, what's his name? They hated him. He was the most hated coach, but his team won. What's that guy's name in college basketball? Everybody hated him. Knight. Who is he coaching? The Hoosers, right? Indiana. Indiana. They hated him. He was the most hated coach, right? His players loved him. Everyone else hated him. But he won, he won. He pushed him, he pushed him, he pushed him, he pushed him. He pushed him hard. You care about someone, you push them. And that's where the greatness comes from. Hashem pushed. I was talking about this on Shulis. Hashem pushed Moshe Rabbeinu hard. 
He should have left him alone. He told Moshe Rabbeinu, go down to Klai Yisrael. Moshe Rabbeinu was like, be, please. I can't talk. I stutter. I lisp. They're not going to listen to me. They're going to say, I made up the whole story. Look at the Chumash. Seven times. Hashem should have said, I love you. You're right. You're a Nebuch. You stutter. You stutter. You're a Nebuch. You talk and sound funny. You know what? Don't go. Stay in the desert. Open up Moses' Shwama house. Midian's Moses' Shwama house. And in the Torah, it'll say that the best Shwama house that ever happened was Moshe Rabbeinu's Shwama house. He pushed him. Seven times he said, no, I can't do it, I can't do it. Please, I'm begging you, Hashem. I can't do it. What are you doing to me? And Hashem said, no, you're going, you're going, you're going, you're going. And he kept saying, no, no, no. And finally, the Yicharaf, Hashem got angry. Hashem got angry at him. He said, no more, no, no more psychology, no more therapy. Wait! Get out of here! Go! You can't talk, you can't walk, I don't care! Go! And he went! And he became Moshe Rabbeinu. So you think, you think it would have been more love for Hashem to say, hey, we're your Nebuch badge. You're a Nebuch. You stutter. Stay home. Don't go anywhere. So it would have been nothing. It would have been a nobody. That would be, that's love? That's love? No, love is Hashem pushed him. Hashem tested Avram Avinu ten times. Ten times he tested him. Come on, Hashem. You love Avram? Leave him alone. Hashem built him. From Lech Lecha, from jumping into a fire, to an Akedas Yitzchak. To his, his will to give up everything for God. He built them. Well, ten tests, one test, leave me alone. I took a test, I passed. Rabbi Yossi Mizrahi was talking about it today. I jumped into a fire, like, what do you want? Hello? I passed. I graduated, 12th grade. Leave me alone, I have my diploma. No. Alright, I, I got my, I got my, uh, my master's. That's right, master's is not enough. You're smart enough, you can get a PhD. You can get a doctorate. So you think the professor, you think the professor in college, when the kid says, I, just, I got my master's, I'm done, and the professor sees how smart this kid is, so you think that the professor doesn't love him if he says, master's for you is nothing, is a failure. You're a PhD guy. So you look at him and say, look, I got a master's, you're bothered, you don't love me because you, you, you're ragging on me to get a PhD? I mean, I, and when the guy becomes a doctorate and he becomes a, a researcher and when he finds a cure to cancer, who did it? The guy who pushed him to his total ability. But we, we move back because, oh, my, my son's angry at me. So we step back. We don't push him. Okay, so then you have Moses and Shwama in, in the desert. That's what you end up with. And Moshe Benner would have been very upset at the end of the day. Hashem would have showed him who he could be and what he ended up being. And the same thing with yourselves, guys. You got to push yourself too. Stop feeling sorry for yourselves. We all feel sorry for ourselves. We're such nebuchs. You got to push yourself too. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Your life is so miserable. It's very good. You, you know what? You, you're right. People are right. And I, and, I, and I don't judge them. You're right. You went through hard times. You're right. Okay, so you want to just sit and cry all day and feel sorry for yourself? Okay. That's what you're going to be. But if you're not going to feel sorry with someone, you're going to pick yourself up, you're going to become somebody. So as your Rebbe, what should I tell you? Oi, Nebuch, Yitaka, you're broken, you should sleep, and, you know, don't have any expectations. That's not. Push, like my trainer. It hurts, I know, so you have to try hard, but Rebbe, it hurts. doesn't matter. If I love you, I push you. Just the opposite. All right, here we go. Here's the big story for tonight. We'll end with this. Scary story. 
So there's a very rich man. He was a millionaire. So he says in the Sefer. A millionaire. Everybody loved him. And he had one kid. One son. Who was bad to the bone. Russia Marusha. Bad to the bone. Shehayulay Makam based Malone. He had a, he's a rich kid. So he had a place, a reservation in the hotel. He would gather with the boys with his chevra. To eat and to drink. And to party, to have a good time. And all the money he spent on the drinks and the drugs and whatever he did, he put on his father's cheshman. He had the black credit card, the American Express. Swipe the card, right? Put on his husband. His friends loved him because he paid for everything. <laughs> He's the man. He, he wasted all the money of his father. Till the father had enough. This safe was written a long time ago. What did he do? The father got fed up with this kid spending all his money on his friends doing partying. So the father called the head of the city. And he called all the people, the supporters of the city. And he and his son. He's dying and he's calling them all in. Last will and testament. And he said the following. I am, I am dividing up my money while I'm alive. I'm giving to the head, the head mayor of the city a large amount of money. I'm giving a large sum of money to the supporters of the city. Make sure when I die that you give it to the widows and to the orphans. And I'm giving a lot of money to the rabbis that should be given out to yeshivas. And I'm giving a lot of money to my son, this bad kid. On a, what's it tonight in English? On a condition. That the minute he gets the money from my Yerusha, he has to leave the house. He cannot come back. Come He brought all the money and he, and he separated. But he asked privately the head of the city, the mayor, to do him a favor. That he should write a, a little piece of paper after the old man dies. Twelve months later. That he should give the police the keys to the palace, to his house. And after 12 months, they should open it up for his son. His son's um, inheritance is that after 12 months, he gets the keys to the house and he has one day. And whatever he gets out of that house that day belongs to him. So he didn't give them. He didn't give him money. He said, after twelve months after my death, well, how's my son going to get his portion? He gets the keys and he gets one day, like in the vault, gets one day 
to take out 24 hours whatever he wants. They all signed it. The and the son signed last. He took his money. He turned around before he walked out. He cursed all the people that were in the room and his father. And they all knew that that this kid, they didn't answer him back. They knew that he's a bad kid. And it was a few days later and the old man died. They, 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 everybody, you know, they went to the funeral. The son did not sit shiva. He didn't like his father. If he didn't even think about the death of his father, he got a lot of money. And he went to the, he went to the, went with his friends, he went to the hotel, he went to drink, he went to the movies, he partied, he didn't give a flip that his father died. He just was having a good time with the money. After eight months, Kulsa Puta Mikisai, the money ran out. So he, he, he realized that he's in big trouble because it's eight months and he has, an, he has to wait four months to get into the house to get, to get more stuff. So he said, but I'm not worried. I'm going to borrow money against that day when I'm going to get into the house. People know, everyone knew that he's getting a day after 12 months to go in the house and take everything that he wants out. So people would lend him money. So, love him, he borrowed a large amount of money, he went to the grocery, he borrowed a lot of money, and he borrowed a lot of money from people that were loan sharks. And all of a sudden, everyone started to talk to each other and realized that he borrowed from everybody. And like they all knew that he has one day in that house, he's not going to be able to pay all of them. So each one of them wanted to make sure that they were going to get paid. Asru, I say, Laku also. They locked him up. They beat him. At Zayv Dom, until his blood was running. They beat him up because they thought he had some money left. But they realized he didn't have any money left. So they figured, okay, they figured that they'll wait and... Uh, First come, first serve. Everybody wants to get paid back. He had one friend, who's starving, so he asked his friend for food. His friend said, My good friend, I really feel bad, but Ainley, I don't have any bread for you. He went to his other friends. He said, Can I sleep in your house? They threw him out, like a dog. He had no more money, they everyone knew that. So what I need you for? They threw him out. He said, I did so much for you guys. Years and years and years, I paid for your bill. And this is how you pay me back. So nobody helped him. And now the 12 months is up. For those extra months that he had no place, he, he slept, but they can see us. He slept in shuls. And then one night, the mayor of the town calls him. You should know that tomorrow is the 12 months. And you're going to get the keys. To get the keys to go into the house. And you should know that whatever you want in the 24 hours to take is yours. Because the kid forgot about that already. So here is his saving graces. When all the crooks heard 
that this kid's now going to get his money in the to- the, the the house. Kula So they all wanted to get the money, but they knew there wasn't enough for all of them. So they 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 threatened him bimaskinim with knives, rumaklis and with sticks. And they said, We're going to be waiting by the front door. And if you don't pay us, you don't get enough stuff out of that house, we're going to cut you into little pieces. Okay? Well, he saw he's in a big sakana, so he opens the door. It's a crazy story. He get, comes into the house. He comes into the garden. There's a garden before the house. And the garden is totally turned over. Everything's turned over, everything's broken. He begins to cry. This is the palace, this is the mansion of my father? He opens the door to the house. And the house is totally empty. He's in big trouble. It's full of filth and dirt from all the sides. He says in his heart, Okay, that's this room. But I'll go into the other room. The other room will have something in it. My father used to have a whole collection of, of books. They used to learn in it. I'll sell them. And he didn't find one book. There's nothing in the house. It's cleaned out. He saw on the desk there was a letter. <coughs> he takes the letter of a karabai and he reads it and this is what the letter says, boys. So his father wrote this letter a year, a year ago. Okay, this letter is a year old. Yadati bini yadati, I know my son, I know. Shetaba bayom kizeh, that that this day would come. Shemachakim ayat hadelas bechutz, that there are people waiting at the front door outside. Lahargachab emisa meshuna, who want to kill you in a very strange way. So the father knew exactly what he was going to do. He knew his son was going to party. He knew his son was going to lose all the money. He knew his son was going to borrow too much, and he knew that the people he was buying from, the loan sharks, are going to kill him. Ulechein, and therefore the father writes in the letter, Shatsatsi, my advice is, Shatala lamala v'chei go upstairs into the attic. Shamuchan gardom, you'll find a noose. A noose, a hangman's noose. Im kisei with a chair. Kedai l'cha shatala l'kisei, I advise you to go onto the chair. Tichnes tavach atachas Put your neck in the noose. Titchak say kick away the chair. And hang yourself. At least you'll die in privacy. in the room. And you won't get chopped into little pieces. By the loan sharks outside. His father wrote this a year before. When he read this letter, Yudash is and he realized that it was true, better to die this way than to go outside and get beaten to death. He decided, I'll die privately, not in public. He goes upstairs, he sees the noose that's hanging, prepared, 
And on the chair is another letter. Koros HaMichtav. He reads the letter, The letter was just, all it had in it was the vidui that a person says before he dies, when he asks forgiveness for all his sins. in length. Because he didn't listen to his father. Tears come from his eyes like water. I've sinned, I've stolen. He says in the end, he says, He wrote that it should be the will. That my death should be my forgiveness. And all the sins that I did. Aviv, my father, Machali Machila Gemura, please forgive me with a full forgiveness. Hashem, please you forgive me. Hichnis Tavara Bechavel, he put his head into the noose, Besimcha Gedayla, with great happiness. Tokhafasakise, and he kicked away the chair. Pisam Nafla Hatigra Olav. He hung for a second, and the beam that the rope was tied on fell from the roof on top of him so he didn't choke it fell onto the floor and he saw a letter that floated out of the wood beam that the rope was tied on and this is what it said there my beautiful delicious son since you I know were macabre to die with happiness for sure you feel bad you have regret for everything that you did I command you to do tshuva I don't want you to you should, I want you to live and not to die Hashem doesn't wait for the person to die that's not what he wants I want to tell you something my son in the garden in a certain in this and this corner. Open it up and you will find all my treasures that I hid there. There's enough there to pay everything you owe and to still be very rich. Take for yourself a wife. And remember me. Remember me, says the, his father. And go in the derech that I showed you. How to treat God and your fellow fellow humans. This young boy became like a new creation. He ran into the garden. And he found everything that was written in the letter. He realized how smart his father was. Not to let him die. He realized who his real friends are. In which derech he should go. And what is the truth? He went back to be good. And he became like his father. And the people, because no one knew what happened inside the house, they couldn't understand what happened to him. He went from one end of the world to the other end. And he became one of the most important people in the city. That's by far the craziest story I ever said. And it's in Ahavaz Chaim. And that ties in, of course, that's not a game you should play with your kids. Please do not do this at home. 
It's definitely not a game to play with your kids. But at the end of the story, the child finds out who his real friend was. His whole life, his real friend was his father. His real friend was his family. His real friend was his father. Because Bochu is our real father. Sometimes he doesn't enable us. He, he tells us that even though fasting is not fun and not being able to eat non-kosher is not fun and be, you know, and all the halakhs that we have and all the mitzvahs, it looks to us like it's not fun, but that's, that's our growth. That's real love. Real love, unconditional love is that I will do whatever it takes to, to make you fulfill your potential. Even if you're not going to like me. Even I have to give that up, I will suffer quietly that my child doesn't like me as long as I know that in the end it will be okay. Listen, your child doesn't like you when they're babies and you stuff... I remember I had to hold my kids down, put medicine in their mouth and they spit at me and they cried and you had to hold them down and you had to hold their nose to make them swallow. It's terrible. You think it doesn't hurt a parent? The kid looks at you with those eyes like, Huh? I, I thought you loved me. Like, you're holding me down and you're closing my nose to make me swallow? And the answer is, yeah, it hurts me, but I got to give you the medicine. That's unconditional love. Unconditional love is doing whatever you can to help your child. Even sometimes if it's not the most favorite thing in the world. Conditional love is the other way around. The people that say, enable your children, that's conditional love. What's the condition? I will do whatever I do can do for you on the condition that you like me. It's conditional love. I want you to like me. So I will buy you the Franks that are not kosher in Yankee Stadium. I will pay for them because it's on the condition that you like me. So if I buy you the Franks and you want them, you like me. I'll buy you the drugs. I'll sit there and smoke with you because I want you to like me. So that's not unconditional love. That's conditional love. I will do whatever I can on the condition that you like me. That's not unconditional love. That's conditional love. We will be zeichet to to get our heads straight and give our children the right chenach. Have a good week. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.